I am talking to Kevin Frank, who practices rolfing structural integration. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Serge. So thanks for answering these questions today. Um, you describe your work as uh, being a rolfing structural integrator. Uh, what is this about? Well, the structural integration story starts back in antiquity probably, but for, for meaningful purposes, structural integration started with Ida Rolf, a woman born in 1895 who uh, was interested in connective tissue and interested in posture. She was a yoga practitioner. She became interested in esoteric phenomena, phenomena and she made a splash in the 20th century uh, with her structural integration work that later became known as Rolfing. She was talking a lot about the plasticity of connective tissue and how we can revive health in people by speaking to the connective tissue system. At the same time, she made some perhaps provocative remarks that there is no psychology when it comes to the body. If we really see the way in which posture is happening in someone and if we really work with transforming their, their way of meeting gravity, that in fact we don't need to delve into some of the things commonly known as psychology. Well, that's a very provocative remark, but um, that and many other things put her on the map. And I became interested in this because I had a enduring and, and persistent set of pains from things that I did. But when I first received the work, it uh, struck me as a, a wonderful context for being present with another person mm -hmm. and a, a wonderful laboratory for seeing how are we attending and how are we able to meet each other in a place where I feel listened to at many different levels and at the same time some of my issues uh, get addressed in a way which is fundamentally different from from approaching it from a strictly emotional or cognitive point of view. Yeah, so uh, by the way you describe your experience with it reminds me that um, in uh, part of your history has been uh, Zen meditation, other forms of meditation and practices. Yeah. Um, so is this something that is a logical continuation of that? How does this relate to uh, you know these practices? That's, a, that's an interesting question. That I, three, three persons, including myself, from a Zen center that I happened to belong to, all decided to become Rolfers in the same year without knowing it from each other. Um, so I don't know if, if uh, that's a general phenomenon, but yes, I think there's something about sitting and becoming present and allowing body process to uh, revive itself that is uh, an element you find in both of those both of those um, inquiries the, mm. the Rolfing inquiry and the Zen meditation inquiry and it, I think you find it in, in many practices uh, 
there's also something I think aesthetically austere about the Zen approach to meditation perhaps compared to maybe some other forms and I think uh, the Rolfing structural integration process has a certainly has a reputation and in some ways it has a, a somewhat austere aesthetic as well yeah so I want to uh, come back to um, um, you know the, what you were saying earlier about the provocative statement of ignoring psychology in a way and uh, I guess that would be a similarity with meditation where you don't do psychology the way one traditionally do psychology uh, but something happens psychologically so could you maybe address what happens psychologically through the uh, structural integration yeah yeah I think first of all having been a practitioner of Zen meditation I found when I got into structural integration there was a whole bunch of domains that I felt really needed to be addressed, at least in me, uh, uh, and they did affect, uh, it did affect my psychology. Um, the, it comes down to what it took me maybe quite a while to understand in a theoretical way, I think I sensed it right away, that when you speak to the postural system, when when you when when a conversation becomes possible between let's say you're my practitioner and I'm your client and and you start to work with me in this way that is we're calling structural, meaning making perhaps a lasting shift in how I stand in the world or how I move to do a task if if we start to have that conversation in a way that elicits the interest of my postural system that's a very interesting conversation mm. that's a very interesting conversation uh, it's going to take me into territory that I don't know and so you as my practitioner are going to need to offer me a fair bit of reassurance. You're, need to, you're going to need to pace me. You're, need, you're going to need to watch for the signs of, of my perhaps feeling a little adrift, too adrift, and uh, have that conversation with my postural system in a way that is comfortable for me. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it, it's a very exciting thing to have something touched within me that I kind of intuitively know is there and to feel some uh, rather deep shift it doesn't have to necessarily have a lot of dramatic catharsis associated with it. And at the same time, we know a higher level of structural integrity when we start to feel it, when we start to feel something happening with less effort and more effectiveness in our coordination, for instance. Mm -hmm. We recognize that as something that is, even before we think about it, our, our body recognizes it as something that is 
uh, an improvement. It's something intelligent. It's something that uh, feels like coming home. Yeah. So what you're describing, you talk about um, a conversation with posture. And um, some of the words that you use, um, posture, how you stand, how you move toward the task, are very... Uh, physical, um, you know, in some ways, but are also metaphors that we use all the time to describe yeah. psychological attitudes of yeah. how we meet the world and we react in it. So, how much of what you're saying, uh, you know, what's the interplay between the literal part of posture, standing, moving, uh, and the uh, the metaphors that it evokes? Yes. Well, the let me see if I let me see if I uh, can. I mean, maybe one way to deal with it would yeah. be if you could um, give an example of some of the things that might happen in a yeah. given session, yeah. so that somebody who hasn't seen one, uh, you know, might maybe have a sense of relating to these concepts. Yes. Yes. Well, let me take an example. Uh, we have two we have two girdles two limb structures a shoulder girdle and a pelvic girdle mm -hmm. um, and both of them are connected to our axis our spinal system uh, head to tail and all the stuff in between um, thinking about the hand arm shoulder and spine we might we might be working with somebody who I might be working with somebody who has had some issues in their neck or their shoulders, but also might have some issues they may have reported to me or they may not have reported to me. Uh, but they might have some issues regarding how they are able to maintain a sense of comfort within themselves while relating with other people, perhaps intimately, let's say. And rather than become uh, informed or rather than questioning them about their psychological profile in terms of, well, what are your relationships like and so on, I'm just going to be curious about, oh, when you use your hand to press an object away from you, how do you compose that, mu that movement? Mm. How do you, how does your, how do you, before, before you even are moving and without thinking consciously about it, how does your postural system create the ground on top of which your gesture emerges and to be very specific I might see what do I see feel in that client's hand as they begin to press that object away from them or uh, yeah something like that to take let's say they have a chair and they're just going to push the chair away from them what do I see happening in that person's hand Mm -hmm. What do I see happening in that person's 
sense of spinal orientation, meaning an orientation to the space around the person, to the sense of support and allowing weight. Uh, very simple things like that. And in the event that I see that, oh, there there isn't particularly a lot of... Uh, what I call, or what many of us call, sensory impression, meaning allowing the sensory experience of the object to enter in the hand, to, mm -hmm. to be taken in, I'm probably going to see a gesture where the preparation to movement is rather expensive. Let me, let me just stop you here yeah. uh, to just um, uh, clarify. So um, what I'm hearing you say is that uh, instead of asking questions about psychological processes, uh, you have the client perform a physical task like pushing a chair. Uh, and um, you're asking them to concentrate on um, the, um, you know, what's happening, not just necessarily the conscious movement, but the implicit movement, what's, um, you know, what comes from inside. The movement of perception. The, the perception. Yes, yes. Uh, the whole perceptive movement that happens before we physically move. Okay, so so that that perception of movement that happens before you physically move is something that by simply, you know, uh, what I'm hearing is that one of the functions of what happens in a session is uh, helping the client concentrate and be more able to perceive this pre-movement. Uh, yes, yes, I would agree with that. I probably wouldn't use the word concentrate, but but that's a you know, maybe an aesthetic choice, but certainly to... To be aware? Yeah, to, to bring the awareness to not only maybe the, the sensations in the hand, but also to feel some two-directionality, some bi-directionality in the spine, maybe to find a place of support. And all of this, of course, involves a lot of slowing down. Okay, so so then uh, uh, definitely one of the uh, the things that happens is that sense of experiencing at a deeper level by slowing down and increasing awareness. I think I think that's a very fair statement. Yeah. Okay. Then you're saying that another thing that happens in the session is that you as the practitioner are observing the movement and uh, reacting to it in terms of uh, maybe a sense of what norms are in terms of what seems to be, you said, maybe uh, expanding a lot of effort in the pre-movement or a sense of reacting to what the movement is and uh, based on these reactions uh, to make some, uh, some hypothesis or to, to, uh, to react to the movement. Yeah, yeah, to, to uh, allow those responses in the client to guide my my guidance. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so if I see in it, if I see that the preparation involves a contraction, in, uh, might be very subtle, but a contraction not only in maybe the muscles of the front of the trunk, but also perhaps a narrowing in in a 
in a not helpful way, too much focus. You know, so that the eyes might become very focused on the object, but actually we find out doesn't help the movement. It, it's what we normally associate with what we should do to do a good job, to kind of focus our perception. Mm-hmm. And we might find that, well, that's a good skill, but in rehabilitating a movement, we might find that it's especially resourcing to work with a broader and more peripheral sense of visual focus while bringing a sense of awareness into the hand. And and just to follow that along, we then might find that as we start to make a change, getting back to your original point, Mm -hmm. uh, that, that in fact we've uncovered a very significant, if you will, psychological issue. That as that shift occurs in coordination, as there starts to be more flow in the capacity to push the object with a sense of ease, really, that in fact that improvement of coordination can be in the the same way that many psychological processes can be, can be a little bit uh, uh, overwhelming or, or activating, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, that you, when you make a shift of coordination, you're speaking to a deep part of what holds us together and what assures us that we're okay in the world. Yeah. So I'm noticing that you're using terms um, that are similar to uh, terms that therapies like uh, somatic experiencing or sensory motor would be using. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there some relationship or some similarity between what you do and those kinds of therapies? I think there definitely is. I think, uh, you know, fundamentally we're talking about a probably all talking about a a related phenomenon Um, and uh, some of the things that are similar involve what allows a person to feel comfortable exploring something that is so immediate, so in the present moment that they feel they don't know how to do yet. So there's a perhaps in all of these endeavors there needs to be a quality of rapport, a quality of presence, a quality of listening, and a, a tremendous amount of embodiment, really, isn't there, in the practitioner, that what is it that allows a person to feel comfortable to do this is in some way or other we're holding that possibility in our own bodily uh, awareness. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't speak for all the different ways in which this is done. Certainly what I do is informed by Alexander's work, by Feldenkrais's work, by Peter Levine's work, by Emily Conrad's work, and Bonnie Cohen's work, and you know, there are many other people who have informed this work. I think there's been a wonderful cross-pollination in the last half of the 20th century. Um, the, the thing that might be slightly different in the structural integration is we're insisting that we want to keep coming back to this business of how is the movement composed, how is the postural system creating a background to the movement. Mm -hmm. I think that metaphor is 
you know, a, an interesting one to to maybe have a discussion with different practitioners and see how they find. I want to just, uh, you know, just repeat that phrase. Uh, you were using the uh, how the postural uh, movement is a background to the integration. Yes. So do you want to just talk a little bit more about that phrase? Yes, yes. The, no gesture, you know, there's a, throughout the history of body work, there have been many body, body maps posited by different practitioners. Looking at, at, at this gesture or this part of the body and saying this has this symbolic meaning or this, this kind of gesture or this kind of body shape uh, has this meaning. And I think all of that has some value. And I think what I'm speaking to here is that a gesture can have a completely different meaning. And my postural system will hear that meaning from your postural system with the gesture being the same. For instance, if I extend my hand out in front of me in a certain way, if I perceive that extension of my hand and arm in front of me with a little bit of additional uh, lengthening of the front of my spine, or if I extend my arm out with a little bit of shortening of the front of my spine, the gesture will have a very different impact on you. The meaning of the gesture will have a very different impact on you. So what happens at that perhaps subtle level of postural preparation to do a movement has a different message to give the world. Does that... Yes, what I'm hearing is in lots of ways what you're talking about is certainly not just gesture as it could be mechanically described, but a sense of uh, resonance and attunement. Yes. So that um, uh, you and I uh, are able to pick up intuitively uh, different layers of uh, meaning into what happens. Yes, I say this is a layer. This postural background activity is constantly anticipating. It anticipates when I'm going to take a breath. It prepares me so I can take a breath. So if we want to work with breath, we're much better off working with the ingredients in that preparation to breathe that are orienting than we are trying to teach someone how to do a better breath. And I think most experienced practitioners would recognize that as being something they found out. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's postural activity going on behind all of the different activities of life. And I'd say that's, that's kind of the corner that Ida Rolf staked out, and I think it's, it's, a, it's a good voice in the, in the community mm-hmm. to, 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 to add that to. Yeah. So as we're, we're talking about um, uh, the community, and a lot of our community is uh, focused on the psychological aspect of things, how do you, as you, you, you work with posture, you work with body uh, uh, and shifting posture, how do you track any changes that might be happening inside the client psychologically? Yes, yes. In some ways, I think our tracking is similar to anyone who is 
tracking someone in a transformative state, looking at what their breathing is doing, looking at how their, uh, what are their eyes doing, what is their respiration, what is their perspiration doing, what is their coloration doing, and all those things. And I would say, again, we're tracking as this person does this movement, I'm working with them on the table. I have their, maybe I have their foot up against a, a board at the end of the table. So it's, they can be working with their foot in the same way they would be standing up, but they're lying down. So we're working at, what is it like to engage one foot pressing and to at the same time find a, uh, back bending of the spine, a forward bending of the spine, maybe a movement of the of the hand with that. As I watch the person do that movement, I can see a moment where their preparation comes from sense perception, orientation. That's where they're putting their awareness. And then I can see the moment where consciously or unconsciously they try to make the movement happen better. <laughs> they try to sort of hedge their bets and add a little bit of extra contraction in some part of their body. And that's, of course, the mess we're all in. We're trying to fix ourselves. <laughs> and, and when we do, we see that we use a lot more effort the movement starts to look not as interesting, and uh, it usually doesn't feel as good. We may not realize it doesn't feel as good, so again, that would be, uh, plus you say, oh, as you, that last time you did that movement, oh, what did, you, what did you sense in your body? How was that for you compared to a moment before? Or sometimes you've just gotten to the point where you go, oh, and they go, yeah, yeah, right. I. So there's that very immediate feedback, and that helps them go, okay, you know, there is a, I can make a distinction. Mm-hmm. I can feel the distinction between movement that begins with, with awareness and presence and all these funny little sensory things that I'm doing, or movement that starts with effort. Yeah. So you do give, um, you know, um, at least some implicit feedback and sometimes more explicit about the movement. Yes. Do you, um, at all give some feedback about the psychological underpinnings of what's happening or is it for you something that happens by itself once you deal with the uh, postural part? You're asking whether when a psychological issue begins to emerge, whether I give feedback about it or whether I... Uh, whether you encourage explicit discussion of it or whether you yeah. prefer to uh, stay at the level of processing postural movement. I think I tend to be uh, a contrarian in that. If someone is very psychologically oriented, mm-hmm. I try to keep them in a sensory place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if someone really doesn't like to you know, really tries to stay uh, 
in the realm of just, oh, I just want to move, I want to feel, and so on, I might start to ask them, so what's the, you know, how does this feel to you? And, and use words that might encourage them to become a little bit more self-reflexive. I, I certainly don't want to delve deeply uh, myself, this is just speaking for myself as a practitioner, mm-hmm. deeply into interpretation. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I think it is within our scope of practice to offer people some map for what's happening to them. And I try to keep that map as grounded as possible in what I feel uh, is healthy and normal, which is being able to uh, freely adapt to the situations that arise. Yeah, yeah. Adaptive capacity. That's kind of our, that's my template. Okay, so definitely adaptive capacity. One other term that comes back in uh, this work, as I understand it, is the concept of core strengths. Yeah. Do you want to address that? Yes, I, I, that's, I think that's a, a very meaningful question in today's world. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, popularity in practicing uh, core, core strengthening exercises sort of derived from the Pilates, derived from the dance world. Um, now it's in the, in the yoga world. And certainly core is also now a very well-used and familiar term in psychology. And I think structural integration has, a, again, a nice contribution to make about the link between core physical strength and core psychological strength. And I think uh, it's simple. It's not necessarily easy to gain skill at, but it, it's, it's very possible, and, and I think there are many levels at which we can take it. it. It has to do with, again, coming back to simple gestures, such as how do I push the object away? If I can execute that movement, that gesture, from a place where there's a rich orientation to the things that our movement brain responds very well to, the sense of directionality in space, sensations in the, in the extremities, in the hands and feet. It happens that when we feed a lot of sensory information into the hands and feet, when we feel two directions in our spine, when we do all those things, we may become a witness to core strength that doesn't feel like something we're doing. And I think that's a very lovely experience for people to have. Mm. Yes, very much so. So in a way, uh, uh, as you're in the middle of um, um, practicing, you know, realizing your embodied nature, you also discover something that goes beyond that. Yes, yes, something that is something that feels like a a wonderful blessing of intelligence and. Uh, effective functioning mm-hmm. that doesn't come out of cleverness, that doesn't come out of effort, that doesn't come from uh, doing more repetitions of the exercise. Right. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's, a very, uh, that's a very beautiful way to maybe um, end this, uh, this conversation for today. Okay. And uh, thanks, Kevin.
This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website relationalimplicit.com.